This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. I'm Ken Apsuck, and this is Daily Thrones, a quick look at the world of ice and fire. And I did a fun thing today. I rewatched Winter is Coming. That's right. Episode one, season one, where it all began. Working on possibly a little project outside of uh, uh, Daily Thrones, Berlin Collider video uh, with Josh Bakuga uh, from uh, formerly of TV Talk. We'll see if it sees the light of the day. But we decided to sit down and rewatch the pilot for this project, take some notes, and it was fun. To sit down, watch the pilot. First time in a few months. And I think the pilot episode may be the episode I've seen the most of Game of Thrones. Because if you're doing your rewatches, uh, well, you begin with that. You go all the way to the beginning. And now we've uh, done six. If you're a fan like me, you've done at least six full rewatches. You're going to do a seventh going into season eight. And for some reason, just a lot of times... Yeah, I'll, I'll watch season one. I'll put something on. And, and I just, there's something that keeps drawing me back to uh, episode one. To go back and see it again and uh, realize, you know, all the things. It's cool now to think all the things that lay in front of these characters that they're still yet to accomplish. But also the thing I think I love the most about that pilot episode is is the foreshadowing. It's all there. It's all out in front of you. And if you're watching it again with someone who really hasn't watched that first episode as many times as you have, you can kind of see things done in their face or you'll point something out and you try not to be one of those smug fans or a smug book fan of, well, actually, Weymer Royce is Bron Jan Royce's son. You don't really want to be that person, but it's uh, fun. Uh, Josh McCook and I were watching today and... and uh, I pointed out that, hey, this when they come on uh, to the bodies of the stag and the dire wolf and the pups, that's the biggest foreshadowing right there. In fact, you could say the entire first season, at least, is foreshadowed right in that moment. And, and uh, Josh hadn't figured that out before. And it was great to see and great to point out. And that's, again, so many times that uh, this, uh, this, this show, uh, this first episode has some foreshadowing, maybe stuff that he even intended. When Benjamin Stark rides up, Jon Snow is practicing his sword work on, on a, on a, on a, uh, a dummy there. And uh, you look at even that moment. That could foreshadow six years from now when Benjamin Stark comes riding up on Jon Snow as he fights the Whites and the White Walkers. I mean, that's a pretty deep layered foreshadowing, but even, even watching it today, the first time I'd seen it since season uh, seven ended, I thought, wow, that's pretty much what we got. Benjamin runs up, John's fighting away, and they have a, they have a reunion. So uh, could, could that be in there? I don't know. Uh, we know Danny walks into the hot bathtub and her handmaid, uh, it's too, it's too hot. It's too hot. Uh, there's that kind of stuff. We all see that. But even the, you know, the, the poetic, uh, bittersweet, I guess you say, poetic poet, the poetry of, of Ned Stark 
carrying out the sentence, cutting off Will's head and knowing what happens to him at the end. There's that kind of stuff, but it's all there. Along with those last looks, you see some of those last looks as they begin to happen, Bran and Ned and all that. And with the knowledge you have going forward, now as a fan, it's sad to go back and watch. But uh, if you haven't in a while, I, I implore you to take a moment, just rewatch Winter is Coming, the pilot. It's so fun to see how much growth the show had in front of it, the growth the characters had in front of it, how the wigs changed. Sometimes the wigs didn't change, and uh, just those moments. Also, we always think when, when Sansa and John reunited in season six, the thought was, hey, they'd never been in a scene together. They've never been on camera together. It's, it's close. There's some brief moments where technically they are uh, when the king shows up, but uh, I noticed this time around because I kind of was like, oh, they've never been in, on camera together. No, that's not true. They're in the same shots for like brief seconds, but even them. Going back to watch that and know that uh, uh, that's kind of the last look that they have. They don't even know it for six more years. Sansa and John won't be around each other. It's fascinating. So go back and rewatch the pilot and then maybe call in. Let me know here on Daily Thrones. What do you think? What do you think about that foreshadowing? Let's talk about it. When you guys are ready, call in here on Daily Thrones. Hey, Ken, I uh, definitely agree with Eric's call about Melisandre um, dying by fire, but I believe it might happen a little bit differently. Um, as you know, I'm a big believer that the Red Priests and Priestesses are going to come over and play a factor in the Great War. Um, but I kind of think that they're going to do some sort of ritual um, or self-sacrifice to make an impact against the Army of the Dead. Um, it would only kind of, like Eric said, it would be poetic for her to die by fire. And I think it would be even more poetic if it was self-sacrifice. Seeing as she sacrificed so many innocent lives by burning them at the stake, uh, it would all kind of just kind of come full circle uh, for Melisandre to go out that way. Um, but at least she's doing something good in the end. Hey, Ken. So I have another what-if scenario for you. And it's about a personal relationship on the show. It's one I have often thought about. So my scenario is, what if things had played out differently and Stannis was successful, he took Winterfell, he killed the Boltons, the sacrifice of Shireen, you know, every, everything, it, it all worked out. Davos gets back to Winterfell, you know, he talks to Stannis, and the thing about Stannis, people could say what they want, but Stannis was not a liar. Maybe you could say he lied to himself, but he wasn't someone that made stories up, so I think he would have told Davos the truth and said, look, the whole Lord of Light Mumbo Jumbo, you know, it was my daughter or it was the realm. So my question is, do you think Davos would have continued to serve Stannis after learning the truth? I really think that's the one thing Stannis could have done to broke Davos from him. Even though Davos admitted he loved Stannis, what do you think? All right, Eric Monroe has asked some tough questions about Stannis Baratheon. Now, full disclosure, maybe you're a recent listener or... You know, because of uh, the way Anchor works, sometimes if you're not listening to the episodes, the broadcasts do disappear after a while. So, number one, listen to those episodes and those podcasts to get old episodes. But I'll, I'll get you up to speed. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Stannis Baratheon, and I know Eric is as well. That's why he uh, was such a great supporter of uh, Daily Thrones. We we share a love and respect for Stannis Baratheon. Now, it's a He's, he's a hard man to love. He's a hard man to care for and get behind. And he made a lot of mistakes. And I do believe his death at the hand of Brienne of Tarth, though we never saw it on screen, so I still hope, against hope, that Stannis is just wandering the north waiting for uh, a ride back into town. 
But uh, I think Stannis did deserve that death. He did make mistakes. And Eric, you're right. I think Stannis lied to himself along the way. But he was always right. That's the problem. What, but his first mistake was, was letting his ego get ahead of him and uh, kind of hitting a breaking point. He, he's kind of like the biblical story of the prodigal son's brother. Prodigal son returns. Everyone's happy about him, even though he made a bunch of mistakes and everyone kind of overlooks the brother. That was Stannis. Overlooked for Robert. Overlooked for Renly. Surpassed by Renly. Stannis always did what was right. And then, at the time, based on the information present, Stannis, Stannis was the true king. The Iron Throne was his by right. But he was a hard man. Followed the rules maybe too tight, and he was tough to get along with. But Davos did, did like him, did love him, and was loyal. He brought him up. He also paid, uh, had Davos paid the price that he was owed, or that he owed to people with the taking of the knuckles. That's Stannis. Stannis made mistakes, starting with Melisandre, putting his ego be in front of him, not bending when maybe he should have joined Renly. Um, and then, of course, the fatal mistakes of the march, uh, the Battle of Winterfell, the March on Winterfell, the burning of Shireen. These are horrible things. Again, I'm a big Stannis Baratheon fan, but I think he got what was coming to him. And I think he learned at the end. I love his final line. Go on, do your duty. Weird begrudging respect for what Brianna Tarth was about to do. So all that goes to Davos. He was one of the only men who remained loyal to him. One of the only men who looked up past all of it to what was right. I believe when Davos is speaking in Bravos to Tycho and the Iron Bank... I believe he, he, he believes every word of that. I'm convinced Davos believed every word of that, that Stannis was right. Stannis was, was in his prime. He was the one to back. I absolutely believe that. And it's interesting, too, because Davos, Davos seems to be more upset at Melisandre for the death of Shireen than Stannis. Now, Stannis isn't around. I'm sure Davos wouldn't, uh, wouldn't uh, speak softly or lightly or... Pleasantly to Stannis about it, Davos had a way of telling Stannis exactly what was uh, what, and what was up, and what was the truth. And that's why Stannis kept him around when many other people would have been burned, killed, tossed away, and never to return. So, if it all of it had gone right but remained the same, would Davos have stayed by Stannis' side? Would he have stayed the hand of the king, knowing that Stannis got to that throne, the official throne, the big throne, by burning Shireen. I don't think Davos would have. I think that would have been the line he'd drawn. I think he would have gone back to a life of smuggling. I think he would have run away. I don't think uh, he would have. Any, I don't think he would have switched sides or anything like that. But I think Davos would not have stuck around for that. But again, Davos is more mad at Melisandre. Maybe she see he sees her as the problem, as uh, you know, Stannis. You know. Stannis, though, I will say, Stannis made his own choices. Melisandre just presented him with those choices. So you can hold some of it against her. But in the end, Stannis made those decisions. What do you guys think? Would that have been it? Or would Stannis and, and Davos parted ways sooner? Even if Stannis had successfully taken Winterfell and successfully moved on to the Iron Throne in any kind of capacity, would Davos have left his side? 
Let me know. Let Eric know. We love talking about Stannis, even though there's some hard truths we've had to face about our hero, Stannis Baratheon. Let us know here on Daily Thrones. You guys are great. Enjoy the weekend. We'll keep talking Game of Thrones here on Daily Thrones on Anchor. We'll see you then. I'm Ken Afzuckin. This is Daily Thrones, a quick look at the world of ice and fire here on the weekend. We're all a little out and about doing our things. We're going to have some fun talking about maybe who would throw the best Game of Thrones bachelor party. we got a good call about that. And following up with yesterday's talks about Stannis Baratheon and what if Stannis had won, would Davos have been allowed to retire? Some conversations springing out of that. And uh, I am uh, still looking back at episode one of season one. And we talked about some good stuff there yesterday. And and uh, the more I think about it, I, I want a Daily Thrones official decision here. I put forth the idea that Benjen in episode one, winter is coming. When he comes into Winterfell, rides on his horse, Jon Snow is swinging his sword, practicing really hard, learning how to fight. And Benjen comes in, surprises him. Uh, John's very happy. Uncle Benjen, hey, is that a conscious decision to foreshadow the events that we finally saw in Season 7 of The Return of Benjen Stark? I don't know. Is there research out there for it? Do we know? Any interviews? Let's figure it out here on Daily Thrones. Uh, Thomas has already commented on the actual uh, segment on, on Anchor about it. I uh, hadn't really thought about it. I hadn't really thought about it until I watched the episode again the other day. So let's talk about it. And if you got any other foreshadowing that you see in season one for the rest of the show, let's talk about it as well. It's Daily Thrones. We love digging deep. Hey, Ken, you said something very, very interesting that ha- it got me thinking when you said that maybe Stannis should have joined Renly. Maybe that would have been the best course of action and a part of me does kind of agree with that but here's the problem i just i just can't see stannis calling renly his your grace given that renly was his younger brother given that stannis was robert's true heir and you know and given that renly never fought a day in his life in fact stannis kept helped keep renly alive when Renly was just a young boy during the Siege of Storm's End. That, that's the problem. I, I just have a, I, I can picture Stannis calling Robert your grace and all that because he was his elder brother and he was the king, but I just have a tough time seeing him bending the knee to Renly. Yeah, Eric, I think you're right. I think one of the things that tripped up Stannis was his own personal pride. It wasn't full-blown ego at the beginning to me. He just, he believed what he believed in, and he believed that he had the Iron Throne, and uh, all those rights and, and privileges that he believed he had, and that were his his to take, and that he wasn't going to stand for being overlooked anymore. I, I think I can, I understand, this is why I identify with Stannis a little bit, obviously, and being a stickler for the laws and the rules and all those kind of things. But I think he started to get really held up when he just absolutely would not see any good, any benefit in teaming up with Renly or maybe bowing to Renly, seeing that Renly was the better choice. That's when the ego started to slowly creep up and grab my man, Stannis the Manus. But he made some other mistakes, I'm sure, and there are some other reasons for it. Let's hear about it here on Daily Thrones. You can, Kevin Ross. So, to me, Stannis' problem is not ego. It's not being, doing, quote-unquote, the right thing, because he didn't all the time. No, his problem is witnessing magic firsthand. A very practical problem, and here's why. 
if you don't have the demon baby, you don't have Stannis totally buying into Melisandre as someone who is magical, who has visions. If you don't have the demon baby, you don't. he doesn't see things in the fire. He doesn't see from Melisandre's perspective and what she's showing him, because I will easily admit that she could possibly be manipulating him the entire time. But he sees the whole board from that perspective. So he can easily go to Davos and say, I've seen it. I've seen the fire visions. I've seen what's going on. My daughter was worth what I'm supposed to do. That's Stannis' problem. Practical magic. Thanks. I think that's a real insightful take on Melisandre's and Stannis' relationship and how it pertains to Stannis' mistakes. Uh, Kevin, you, you, you've touched on something really interesting there. This idea that Melisandre is known to be somewhat of a fraud, but also very real. She admits it. She admits it uh, uh, later on to Stannis' wife. Like, uh, some potions do this. Some potions just make people believe there's magic. So she knows when to pull the strings and she knows when to, uh, you know, release a demon baby, a smoke baby monster into the world. Davo sees it. It's real. It does the job. And you're right. Stannis has reason to believe. Now it's his ego really spinning out of control because he feels this is... It's all justified. It's all real. And that I can see. I've never really thought about it in those terms that once he starts believing... And this isn't a man of religion. This isn't a man who... Enjoy, he's on the record of like... Not being for that Renly's joke about, oh, I can see why you found, looking at Melisandre saying, oh, brother, I can see why you found religion in your older age. Like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I get it. Uh, you know, Stannis, um, Stannis never believed, so to suddenly believe, start seeing things. And it fuels, it, it, it's fuel for his, his fire. It feeds into his narrative that's in his head of, I am the one true king now. I, I have this responsibility. He, I think, feels a lot of it in the early part, probably things we don't see on the show before season two begins. When he gets that letter from Ned, he probably feels like it's duty. And it, it, it and keeping to your duty is very important to Stannis, as we know. So if he has a sense of duty, Melisandre comes along, whether she's using him, whether she really believed and was wrong... Uh, maybe she did believe that Stannis was a Zora High reborn. Maybe, maybe he was the prince that was promised, or maybe Melisandre's just pulling a whole, whole, whole uh, trick here. That's what you. That's what's difficult about her character. What's intriguing about her character? So you kind of don't really know. So here, here comes uh, you know Melisandre. She pulls a few tricks that work. Stannis now has the sense of duty and now a sense of belief in some supernatural reason for him having that duty it's going to really just make him entrenched in his own ideas of what is right so Renling comes along nope now Renling's dead I did that I believe now all these things that are starting to happen all these things he thinks he's seen in the flames and probably does see in the flames are real to him then he goes up and saves the day goes up to the wall saves the day captures man's raider and now all the bad things start happening but he's too far down the path. He's too far down believing his own hype and Melisandre is there still whispering in his ear. That would lead to this horrible decision. If you felt you needed to do all these horrible things, what other people would consider horrible, for the good of the realm, to fulfill your duty, to fulfill your calling, and you've seen all these powerful 
uh, elements of magic get you there. The thought of sacrificing your daughter, horrible as it might be, in a moment you could be like, it's just what I have to do. It's part of this plan. I believe it. I've seen it. I know it's real. Turns out, probably wasn't. At least not all of it. And it was part of Stannis' undoing. So, it's a good point, Kevin. Going all the way back to the beginning. Melisandre gave Stannis reason to believe in magic. It was hard for Stannis to look away. Hey, Ken. So it's bachelor party weekend. My soon-to-be brother-in-law is marrying my sister uh, on November 22nd, and I'm about to head out to the bachelor party. And it got me thinking, you know, a fun question. What Game of Thrones character would probably be the best character to throw you a bachelor party? I think there's a a couple choices that come to mind. The Red Viper, I think he would throw a great party. He likes his women, and he likes his men too, and he likes, you know, wine and all that. I think he he would be a good choice, but I think Tyrion would also be a great choice. We know how well he takes care of people that he likes, so he would be definitely another option. And a wild card option, I don't know. I was thinking Robert Baratheon. He's someone else that likes a good party, it seemed like. He didn't like being king, but he did seem to like these feasts the kings had. So those are, those would be my options. What do you think? Eric, you're asking about who would be the best to plan a bachelor party in the world of Game of Thrones. You've got some great answers. Oberyn, he knows, uh, he knows how to party. He'd be good. Tyrion knows how to party. He'd be good. Robert Baratheon knows how to party. But I don't think he'd be good planning it. He's a mess. He couldn't run a kingdom. How's he going to plan a bachelor party? Tyrion could definitely do it. Tyrion might be the right answer. Oberyn might not... He might plan a bachelor party, then forget to invite you. Because he's just too cool for school sometimes. And I love Oberyn. But, you know what? The true answer is Baelish. Baelish is going to plan the finest bachelor party. Create some great... Warm, loving, fuzzy memories for you. And not worry about getting involved in it. Tyrion still likes to drink up. He likes to partake. While that's the case of most bachelor parties, uh, even the nice innocent ones, you kind of want someone just to plan it and step aside. That's why Baelish is the true choice. The best pick on who would plan your bachelor party. It's wonderful. Wonderful discussions here on Daily Thrones. Hey, Ken, you know, get, Kevin brings up a really, really great point about magic and about Stannis and about, you know, and it goes and that goes back to season three when he's visiting Davos in the cell. Melisandre wants to, of course, burn Gendry and he's talking to Davos and Davos is trying to talk him out of it. And he's saying, I think sometimes people made up the gods so their children would sleep well at night. And then Stannis says to Davos, I saw the vision in the flames, a great battle in the snow, and you saw whatever it was she gave birth to. And then Stannis says something key. He says, I never really believed, but when you see the truth, when it's right in front of you, as real as these iron bars in front of us, how can you deny her God is real? Hey, Ken, Kevin Ross. I happen to agree with you with Baelish on the uh, best bachelor party. Besides, he's got all the party favors in King's Landing, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But let's take Eric's question to the next level. Then who would plan the best bachelorette party? And for my money, it would be Orlena Tyrell. Why? Because she's been there and done that. 
much like Tywin in a young man's game respect the old men, in a young princess's game respect the queen. And you're always given the impression anyways that while King La- King's Landing has the power, Highgarden has all the good stuff. And you know nothing happened that night if it comes to Orlena Tyrell. If she can keep the poisoning of Joffrey a secret and to herself for a long time, you can imagine the secrets she would keep at a bachelorette party. No, no, for my money, it's Lorena Tyrell to plan the bachelorette party. Thanks. All right, I agree. If I'm looking to plan a bachelorette party, uh, I think I'm looking no further than Olena Tyrell, the Queen of Thorns. I can get behind that. I think that's a good idea that Kevin has put forth. And one thing, Kevin and Eric, with the great calls today, a lot of you out and about celebrating your Saturday, having some fun, getting ready for the holidays and all that good stuff, changing the clocks back, all those good fun things. So uh, I appreciate you guys listening, checking in, spread the word on Daily Thrones, share it, especially if you're on a call. Don't forget the Daily Podcast if you're not listening. It's out there as well on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. That's it for now. We'll see you guys tomorrow here on Daily Thrones.